Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. I'd love to start connecting with you, my listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this episode or any of the episodes, watch for posts for each of them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can imagine the energy of connecting over these inspiring people's stories. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you have the same passion, or maybe you've been wanting to talk to someone with this thing going on. Yes, we need to talk. Come find me. All right, in this episode, we're talking with David Crean. David has a practice called Body Resonance. He's located in the UK at the moment. He has a great story about how he developed this technique of healing past trauma and releasing emotion from the body. He has a few great examples of how he did this for others and even for himself. And if you listen closely, we try to heal a little bit of something within me. So without further ado, here is David. Hi, David. Welcome to Glistening Particles. Hi, Jane. Nice to be here. I'm so happy to talk with you. You know, I haven't um, deep-dived into your work, but you come highly recommended from Sandra Jensen, who was on my show a few weeks ago. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Where do we begin? Um, Let's first tell people what it is you do, and then we'll kind of like meander around how you landed there. I I developed something called uh, Body Resonance, which is, um, I suppose, a, an, an approach to um, not just healing modalities, but also ways of um, approaching relationship um, issues, which would be personal and or business. Um, I came across, I worked across towards this, I suppose, my whole, my whole life, really, if mm-hmm. I think about it. Um, but it, it, it started out, um, with me working with people's voices, uh, in particular. Oh, explain that. I, I was an actor for some years and there's, there's a history behind that as well. Of course, I was working with people with their voices, mm-hmm. uh, just helping them, um, go through some of the things that I had learned, um, and the more that I worked with people's voices and they weren't necessarily actors, these were people who also needed to do presentations for, um, you know, the, at, a, at a conference, for instance, or, or a board meeting or something like that. Um, and the more I worked, the more I realized I wasn't really working with, with voices. I was working with emotions. I was working with what, what it was that was behind whatever was happening for that person. And that led on to an understanding of the connection between 
um, our thought processes and our emotional feelings and that sort of feedback feedback loop that we have. So, the, so when you meet new people, then are you just automatically kind of making a an assessment, so to speak, without not a judgy way, but just sort of a hmm, I know what's going on in their life. Do you find that that happens? Yeah, I think we all do that. Okay. I think we all, you know, we we, we all have this extraordinary. Um, capacity to be aware. I mean, I think that's the extraordinary thing about being human is that we have this awareness. Um, I mean, animals have it too. They're aware of when a situation is comfortable or when there's danger. And we have that, you know, you walk into a room and you feel good or you walk into a room and you go, ooh, this doesn't, I'm not comfortable here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an instinctive element there which I think plays through that we we have an instant like or dislike with people. It's said that by the time you're two years old, roughly two years old, all the conditioning that we're going to get is already in there. Oh, that's not good. That's not, that's not <laughs> fair. Who set that up? Well, yeah, who set that up? Well, in a way, but you see, in a way, that's the stuff that we have to work through because that's the, that's the grit and the oyster that we make pearls out of. Okay. You know, if everything, we could look at it as, oh, that's terrible and we should be, you know, I, I, but, but I don't see it that way. I, I see it actually as, you know, well, one way of putting it is diamonds are, are, are really just, it's really just coal that has handled stress really well. Right. So how do we, how do we work through um, how do we integrate? I think this is what healing is all about. How do we integrate all the experiences, whether we judge them good or bad, um, through our lives that that bring us to a, a sense of ourselves and a sense of freedom, of peace, right. uh, ease that goes along with that? You know, the thing that I would love to be able to do in my own experience is view all of the experiences and things that happened or that I did or whatever as neutral and just glean from them the wisdom. Well, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what <laughs> That's we what do? we hope to do, but unfortunately they all sort of like hang around and nag at me in my head. Well, <laughs> they can do that. They right. can do um, I guess really the, the, the issue is whether we're concentrated on it as a past event or we recognize how we are with what did happen in the past how we are with that in this present moment Mm -hmm. and that's where that's where the different difference lies Mm -hmm. um that is a thought process that is a, a, a series of thought processes beliefs if you like um, you hear people often say, you know, something like, it's always like this, or right. I'm always having something or other happen. For me, those are, those are kind of, um, they're alarm bells. They're little, they're little, um, kind of flags saying, Hey, there's something to have a look at there. Um, but we tend to look at that negatively and mm-hmm. say, Oh, that's terrible. Oh, shit. Some more, some more stuff I have to deal with. As opposed to, no, this is what's this is what's available, and 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 life is actually made up of our ability to feel. 
And it's our ability to feel that gives us our ability not only to survive, Mm -hmm. but to grow. Um, And all the richness that we experience in life surely comes from our recognition of knowing both sides of the coin, whether it's you know, ease or whether it's discomfort, whether it's happiness or sadness. I just love that you chose those words of ease or discomfort, happiness or sadness versus good or bad. I think those are the labels people often use and they're actually damaging. You know what I mean? Becoming an actor and learning, you know, having to play parts where there's a whole range of emotions was actually a way of me finding out about myself. Oh, how beautiful. You were talking about the voice and the the way that we carry the emotions in our body. Do you think that actors have to basically, they're drawing on what they have within them or that they have to create those for their parts? I think, I think we're always drawing on what we've got within us. Okay. I think, but by the time we're, I don't know, certainly 18, let's say, we, we, we've We've experienced, to some degree, every emotion that's possible to feel. Okay. We know what what it feels like to be rejected. We know what it feels like to be loved or not loved. We know what it feels like to, you know, be happy, sad, disappointed, whatever. Mm -hmm. So what kind of acting did you do? Tell me a little bit about that. Um, Well, I did the range. I I worked... um, I worked in Canada. I moved to England, and I, I lived uh, I lived in in London for many years. So I worked on the stage. Um, I worked in television. I worked on radio. I did I did films, um, and I did that for about about nearly fifteen years. Ah, oh, wow, that's a long um, a long time. Well, what, a long time. What are you most known for? Which particular role or or production? Um, well, I was just very lucky because I worked with some extraordinary people. Um, I worked with David Mamet at the National Theatre in, in, in London. Um, and I, I worked with Arthur Miller um, uh, in, a, in a play called uh, The Man Who Had All the Luck. Mm, uh, that sounds like and, a good one. Mm. Yeah, it was great. I, I played the brother of the man who had all the luck. <laughs> so <clears throat> I was the guy who had no luck. Oh, oh no. <laughs> which which was uh, by far the more interesting part. I was going to so, say, I bet that was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, I played it. It was a ball player. Oh, um, interesting. And, uh, you know, Arthur Miller always writes about or always wrote about families. Mm-hmm. And uh, in particular, there were, you know, I think just about every everything he ever wrote has uh, relationship, family relationships that are central to the, to the story. Um, and, and, and in particular, a kind of fatal flaw that people have. It's very, you know, he writes in a, in a way that actually is, you know, has, has a lot of the principles of sort of ancient Greek tragedy. Hmm. So the character that I played was a ball player who was, um, you know, just extraordinary. He was the, 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 the hope of the town and he was, you know, being scouted and so on. Um, and, um, of course what happens is that, um, he has a fatal flaw and the fatal flaw is this, is that because he's, um, you know, the only time that he can practice cause they're poor, right? We're, t- mm-hmm. we're talking 1930s um and the only place that he can practice is is his father has created a 
um, a, a ball pen in in the basement okay. inside. So he's like dug out this. He's dug out the barn wow. so that so that the the the, the the boy can play can can practice his pitching all winter long. Okay, but it becomes the fatal flaw, and the whole play turns on this, which is that that everything turns out right for the brother, but this ball player is rejected um, by the scouts, um, by by I guess probably the Chicago White Sox or whoever it is. It's not mentioned mm-hmm. in the play, but but um, he's rejected because. <clears throat> because he can only pitch in the perfect conditions. And ah. uh, that's interesting for me. It's like the great the great players in any sport, but then also in anything we do in life, it's how you navigate the unknown, the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, you know, can you handle the roar of the crowd? Can you be behind in the pitch count? Can you, and still throw a strike, you know? It's, it's... Um, so the play was all about this this flaw and the character that I played goes from being this innocent to being this um, really bitter, um, sarcastic. He becomes very funny, actually. Um, oh, really? Uh, Through that? He, yeah, be, he becomes yeah, funny? Yeah, in a very sarcastic way, okay. right? Yeah. It's not a very known um, Arthur Miller play. It was... It was um, uh, it's not done very often. Uh, I actually fact, am fascinated by that story because it so much parallels life in general. Yeah, and I think overall, that, you know, yes. the the idea that people can some people can succeed in the best of conditions where everything is moving along very predictably, mm-hmm. you know, and then when there's something unexpected, their whole ability to to succeed changes. That's right. And then coming back to this definition of when you just say something in terms of good or bad, light mm-hmm. or dark, um, you you don't have the resilience to handle. Yes. Resilience. So, perfect word. Right. Yeah. Huh. That was an interesting little path we went down, <laughs> which is what I love the most about these conversations. So shifting a little bit for a moment, um, I am curious to know where, where all you've lived. Because I've lived in Midwest, the Midwest, my entire life, so I'm always finding that a fascinating question. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I I I was born in Canada. I was born in Ottawa. Okay. Uh, oh, we have two and, uh, other people on the show from Ottawa. Yay, oh, really? Yay, Ottawa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't live there very long because okay. uh, when I was, I think I was about a year and a half old. Um, my parents, uh, my dad worked for. Um, the Canadian um, diplomatic service. He was a foreign affairs guy, okay. and uh, so we we um, moved on a series of postings. Uh-huh. Uh, so the we we were. I, I grew up in in um, a lot of Iron Curtain countries, um, like former Yugoslavia. Um, and latterly in Italy, um, where I was for a number of years. And then I went back to Canada when I was, uh, 12, I guess, um, and went to boarding school there. Uh, So let's go back to, cause I've taken you down away, way away from this original question and topic, but how you then discovered the work that you do today. Let's start talking about that a little bit more. Um, 
the actual um, body resonance itself is something that I've been developing over the last, I guess it's, it's a little more than 20 years, maybe 25 years now. Um, but I, but you know, when I look back, I realize that, uh, to some degree, I was learning the work or, or doing some aspect of the work, even as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm aware of using some of the skills um, that I have developed as, uh, as an adult and use them in a, in a healing context, in a, in a sort of clinical context um, that, that stem from childhood experiences of, of, of dealing with different situations. Um, I had, uh, I had a lot of illnesses as a child. Okay. Um, and they were for the most part un, undiagnosed. Okay. Um, so, you know, for instance, when I, I, I had TB, um, and it was never diagnosed. And when I had the, it's extraordinary when I look back on it. Um, but I had complications with pleurisy, which is another lung related uh-huh. illness. Um, and, and I was never sent to a doctor. I was put huh. basically, you know, sometimes in a hotel to, to, to kind of, you know, wait the fever out, hmm. uh, which is when I think about it is, is very odd, very odd thinking, um, apart from anything else. Um, but it's, a what it, what it, what it conveys to the to you know I, I I if I look at it from an emotional point of view, it was just too much for me to handle. So um, the illness was you know was on one level it's a, it's a pathogen, but on the, on another level it is it is a it is a response to a to a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that had to do with growing up behind the Iron Curtain. So oh. you know. We, Okay. We were involved in a in a block. Uh, there were guards. There were spies. There were people who looked through my toy box, um, who I didn't know who they were. Um, there were, you know, as an eight year old, I was I was aware of where microphones were hidden, for instance. Um, uh, wherever we went, I was aware of who was following us. I was very good at, um, you know, all the spy movie stuff. It's extraordinary. When huh. I think about it. So I was hyper aware of that sort of need to survive. Uh-huh. And at the same time, I was also aware of that you, you couldn't say anything. <clears throat> hmm. um, and then I suppose really the point of all of this for me now is to talk about it in terms of that those things have completely healed in my body. Um, I don't, I don't, ha- I'm a, kind of one of those medical anomalies or uh-huh. outliers or whatever you call it, so that my x-rays do not show any tb scar or anything or any trace um uh of of all of that illness that that happened um and that was really from almost from one month to the next um okay I, let's hear I, this let's tell it tell me this how did you do that well this was, I think, this was especially during the period of working as as an actor. Uh-huh. When I left school, I was fed up with everything, basically, um, and I'd, I'd I'd kind of burnt out. And uh, there I was, being an actor, and I was fed up with having to go and have, you know, regular X rays and monitor everything. I was just, I wanted some freedom. Uh-huh. 
And there I was um, working in the theater, and I'd sort of scratched and clawed my way to somewhere around about the middle. And I was working in, in larger theaters. And um, if you work in a, in a theater, you have to be able to um, be heard. There's no point in being a great actor, but nobody can hear you. <laughs> right, right. And <clears throat> so, you know, here am I with all these chest, uh, you know, issues. Uh-huh. And um, I worked really hard to, to kind of overcome that. I mean, I did a lot of sports and I, I did lots of stuff. Um, and so you wouldn't have necessarily have known. But I, I reached a, a, a kind of uh, glass wall, as it were, which where I had I had the instrument, I could produce it, but still nobody could hear me. Uh-huh. And, and, and this then led me to realize that I was really dealing with an emotional issue. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a functional issue. It had nothing to do with my ability to, 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 to raise my voice and be heard. Mm. That there was the part of me that was holding back that I didn't know I was too afraid to be heard. Even though I was hiding behind a character, hiding, um, I was playing character so I could, you know, um, put up the mask and just be, be that character uh-huh. but still didn't matter because this and then this is where i started working with the voice because i realized that this was an emotional issue that there was no longer i couldn't hide behind anything anymore um and working through that um which meant working with some extraordinary um voice teachers okay in london people that really saw something much deeper than just training a voice. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I, I worked and found ways to go through that. And um, one day I realized that perhaps I should go and see a doctor again. I hadn't seen a doctor in a long time. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really good. I'm not sure why I'm going to the doctor, but I guess I should. And I had disappeared basically for years. And I went back to the doctor who had had been the doctor that I'd been going to. And he immediately got, he said, where the heck have you been? You know, you're, uh-huh. I, you're, I'm taking you right downstairs to get the next ray right now. You're not leaving this office until I see those x-rays where you're waiting here. You're not going anywhere. Huh. It was really, really firm with me. Yeah, TB is not something you mess about with. And because it's contagious apart from anything else. Right, right. And, we had that uh, in my family. My grandfather had it and my okay. mom and her brother had were in the sanitarium with him for part of the time. Okay, so, yeah. well, and you know that you know the scene. So I went down to get the x-ray and I waited outside in the office and the you know, and, and, and in those days, they did it on the spot pretty uh-huh, much. And right. Away from or perhaps he put a rush job on it. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and I go back into the office and he sticks the old um, x-ray up. In those days, they didn't, they weren't in computers. It was, you know, on the light, on the light box. Right. And he whacked the old one up and you could see this kind of messy scar on my lung. And then he popped up the new one. And he looked at it and there was, you know, they were perfectly healthy lungs looking back at him. And he went, oh, they've made a mistake. They've sent the wrong x-rays up. Mm -hmm. And, um, but my name was on the x-rays. That is amazing. And so he went down and said, no, no, I think there's a mistake. You've, you've, you've changed the x-rays. You put the wrong name on it. And and it was. That's incredible. 
Yeah. So you think that through the the voice training, you were able to heal your lungs? Yeah. Oh, um, wow. I think I, I don't think it was just the voice training. Okay. It had to do with also um, a lot of spiritual work that I began to also go through. Um, and if you like, um, you know, it's a bit of a popular word, but it was a, a I was taking, I was self-empowering myself. I was, I was coming back to me and that all the pieces that had been left in various countries or taken away or I, I needed to use to, 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 to survive, um, were coming back to me. Okay. Um, did I not just say that before we began? <laughs> That's so you- weird. Um, I was talking with someone before we got on our call and I was saying that this new theory running through my mind is that we come in broken or we we're broken early. And then our job in our life is to go back and find all the pieces. And right I just on. said that. It's so amazing. Yeah. And I hadn't even read that on your site. <laughs> Incredible. <Yeah. laughs> I love yeah. synchronicities like that. Yeah. Well, these, these, these are the things which, 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 um, you know, they, they, and, in in a physics terms, they are the entanglements. They are the, yes. the, these recognitions that we all have. We all go, yeah, I know what that is. Um, and I think that's that's what I learned through the spiritual um, search, which is that I think it was Lao Tzu who said the truth cannot, or perhaps it was the Buddha, um, the truth cannot be spoken, but it can be heard. Hmm. And so we know when it's, it's like you just know and you say, oh, I always knew that. Uh-huh. I know that and, feeling. Yeah. And, and that's, that's our connection. And that's where I start from. That's where body resonance comes, comes in, which is that when you, when you know that, that's your truth. And no one can change that. No one can take that away from you. And equally, nobody can give you that. Mm. We, we, we come in with that, and that's intact. Hmm. Whatever it is that breaks us, whatever it is that's not in harmony or in balance. All right, so I'd like to understand more about how your your work um, goes. So if you had a new client come in, how would this work? How does this go? Um, well, the, I think the first part is that I, I listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen not just with my ears, but I listen with my eyes and I listen with, I receive. Um, I will look for what is a person's essential energy signature. Um, in other words, something before all the shells of experience of uh, conditioning have happened. And at that level, we don't, we're we're not personalities. How do you see that? um, I see that as movement. I see that as, uh, yeah, well, I'm hesitant to say I see it as energy, but it is, uh, essentially. I mean, can you, like... And I'm asking these questions not to pick apart what you do. It's more like an utter fascination, just so if, if that's not coming across in my questioning, it's utter fascination because I have a strong interest in energy work. So when you say you see movement, is it that you feel it or that you 
like phys- like you vis- you can actually see a color or a, a light. Yeah. Or what, um, what is it? it it's it's uh, uh, it can be it can be very colorful. Okay. It's not always colorful. Um, it's uh, I I don't know what an aura is uh-huh. to be honest. Okay. But we are the 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 physical body is an expression of uh, vibration. Is an expression of the the physics of frequencies playing together. Okay. So it has sound to it. It also has um, flow to it. And there's a picture there. So it's, it's light uh, at some level. But it is, it's more than just a light. Um, I suppose at the heart of it, it is just a light. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in the light frequency, the frequency of light. Um, as in electromagnetic energy. Uh-huh. But it it flows, right? So it's a it's we're we're not one thing. So we are a, a, the way I kind of put it is that we are a series of standing waves. Okay. This is, this is like field, um, field, fields interacting with fields. Okay. Uh, so you know when you when you put um, electricity through a magnet you get electromagnetic energy Well, our heart beating um and it's not just our heart that that has uh, a pulse but our our organs have a pulse our craniosacral system which is the whole part of the um, central nervous system um, that also has a pulse what is it like when you do the work with people like what's happening what are the like if you can boil it down a bit and what are the experiences sure. that they're having and what are you what are you healing through body resonance first of all the, the body resonance refers it's it's just a name but it refers to the fact that there what, whatever somebody is feeling and sometimes we call this empathy but whatever whatever the reason that we know somebody feels sad or angry or whatever the emotion is that they're feeling is that we're having a resonant response in our own in our own body. Are people always aware of that? No. Okay. Not at all. Move on. So, <laughs> okay, go along. I'm like, okay, I'll let you talk some more. Sorry. So, that's okay. Um, so, you know, the one of the premises for me is that there is no out there. There is only here. Okay. So whatever it is that might be going on in the world, whatever whatever that might be, my perception of that is happening within me, just as the perception is happening within the client or you, mm-hmm. for instance. Okay. So the, just a, an example of what I mean by that is we all think we agree on something when we don't necessarily agree on it. For instance, um, if I think uh, and say the word apple, you know what an apple is, right? But right, if right. I ask you, what, what does your apple look like? Right. I think of a red gala apple. That's what I think of. Okay. It just so happened, not because I'm being contrary, but I thought of a green Granny Smith. Right. Exactly. Because there's so many. We would have different so perceptions. There's so many. Right. This is where we get into trouble because we think we're agreeing on something because we both can agree on apple, but there are hundreds of different kinds of apples. Well, it's the same thing with color. So the color that you see 
is, is, is just not the same color that anybody else sees. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you're an artist or you have great abilities or not. It's just simply a fact that we create that in, in, in our head. This is the marvelous thing about what our brains do. Uh-huh. So part of the work that I'm doing here is, first of all, on an empathetic level, is to recognize, okay, this is, this is what I feel going on in my body. So let's say that somebody is very ill because most of a lot of not most a, a great number of clients that 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 I see have have really tried so many different things they've mm-hmm. been to all kinds of both um, uh, Western medical and Eastern and 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 uh, complementary and they've they've tried loads of different things they've become experts on their own disease but they're still looking for some some harmony, some ease, some balance, some uh, curing as well as healing. Okay. And um, so what what happens is, and, and I would call this the compassionate response, which is that when I can make an energetic connection on an empathetic level, then can I open the space energetically so that I can give, I'm trying to give you an example here. Um, it's a bit reductive, but the example would be a kind of entrainment, which means if you, if you have two guitars or three stringed instruments in one room uh-huh. and you pluck a C string, for instance, right. uh, then all, all strings that resonate at C will vibrate whether you touch them or not right okay it's the same thing with pendulums that if you have a bunch of grandfather clocks and they're all the different sizes and you put them all in one room after a while i know some period of time they all just swing in synchrony okay um so it's a physical principle okay so so there's a uh an entrainment that happens if I create that space so that person either consciously or not senses that okay and so that is information for the immune system and that information is is used as saying oh okay well we can we can we can go in this direction now we don't have to follow that order from that thought that is a misunderstanding um, or comes from some sort of conditioning or something. This is on the psychological level, but emotional level as well. Um, And then that, that, quite i'm being very reductionist and simplistic here. i know i know and I, I have a question when you like that an example that i want to ask when you get there so if that's a good time to ask now i can do that now or if you think sure you go for sure it. go for it go so for in it. in the context of the tb that you you had and then the fact that it disappeared <clears throat> is it because you know you did work to um on your voice and emotional i think you said emotional work with that but also just changed your belief about it that it wasn't it wasn't there that it wasn't you know you said you went away from the doctors you didn't keep putting it in front of yourself do you think it was that shift that 
healed your lungs? I guess that's part of it, although I can't say that I was doing that consciously at that point. Um, I've had other experiences since then that I could say I was consciously aware. Okay. Um, but I, I could say that for sure, you know, having a thought, if you just have the thought, it, it doesn't have that much impact. But if you have a thought and you start giving it energy, right. you, start, you start working that thought, then that is a chemical message that is sent to your body. So quite literally, the neuropeptide talks to a protein which receives the chemical message. Then the proteins are on the, on the membranes of the cells mm -hmm. all over the body, not just, not just the um, what they call opiate receptors. And those are important too, but all over the body. Mm -hmm. So when you change those thoughts, then the proteins begin to change, the receiving proteins, they also change. It takes, it takes a bit of a lag, you know, it takes a little while for the body to catch up there. Right. But it happens quite quickly. And um, you, can, you, can, you can see the, the, the blueprint of the change happening almost instantaneously. And then the physical, the physical body will, will follow that. Just like when a plant begins to grow, um, say it grows a new branch or whatever, it's actually sending out a matrix first. I mean, there's uh -huh. this sort of Kirlian photography that shows this, that <clears throat> we, they, 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 it sends out a, a, a kind of possible matrix here. We're going to grow into this. And then if you photograph that plant, you know, a couple of weeks later, you see that, that, that the, um, the leaves and everything conform to that energy matrix. But you see, those first couple of years, two, three years, until we're about five, there's certain brain functions that haven't even kicked in yet. We're in a kind of hypno, what they call a hypnogogic state up until about the age of five, five or six, okay. which is, which is uh, the best state of mind to learn because it's like, totally relaxed okay in a receiving mode now what this means is we learn a lot right. but what it also means is when your button gets pushed mm -hmm. you are not the age you are now you are the age you were when that conditioning was first programmed okay so you know it's what i tell people is you know, you're not 50 when that happens. You're about six when that particular thing happens. Okay. So you can't change the six-year-old from the 50-year-old's point of view. Okay. So then how do you get over those things? Like I have a, an example maybe if that would help you to speak to. Um, I have this uh, issue with people disappearing. You know what I mean? Like just being gone unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And when I was probably like three or four, we had this neighbor guy who was like my best buddy and I would go out and play with him all the time, like in his yard and stuff. And he was just like my best buddy. And then he just died and he was gone. You know oh. what I mean? And mm -hmm. I didn't know how to deal with that. Like he was like, he was my best friend 
which is it sounds weird. It's not weird or creepy. He was like a really cool guy. But um, from all the stories I've heard, at least. And uh, ever since then, it's been like that. Like when people just not just dying, but when people just disappear, right? it, it triggers something. And yeah. I would love to know how to fix that. Well, um, first of all, I don't think it's creepy at all. It was your friend. Yeah, I just meant like people think, oh, a little girl, old guy. But he was this like grandpa character. You know, he was like my grandpa character or figure, yeah. I think. Yeah, even more so. So um, that you felt something. Right. Uh, and and let's let's call it what it is. It was love. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mr. Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. That was his name. He was uh, just loved him. He was the coolest old Italian grandpa guy ever. Right. So there. How old were you when he died? Uh, I think I was probably like like four. So the four year old is also, you know, at four, we're still, we still think of the world as being just simply an extension of ourselves. Yes. Okay. So that means we are still thinking kind of magically, which means, hey, what did I do that my friend died? What did I do that he died? Mm Mm-hmm. I must have done something wrong. That's exactly how I feel. That's so funny that you said that. Because we're using this example, if 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 I could, without going into the detail, um, it's. Uh, it, do I have your permission? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yep. I'm just not going to tell you all the future examples of disappearance, no. but yeah, that let's deal. Let's get this one, and maybe that will topple the rest of them. Yeah. The awesome. is, that that is the point. Is that there is there is a. Uh, a point of connection between all of these things so that when it happens or happened again later in your life, mm-hmm. your first experience of it was when you were four. Right. So that is the blueprint. It's the four-year-old blueprint. Okay. The four-year-old doesn't have the emotional maturity to understand it as a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old adult. Right. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, even though you understand it as an adult, there's the part that is simply responding as a four-year-old. I'm not saying that you are a four-year-old. I'm saying that this part, this is how trauma works as a traumatic experience, if you like. I'm not talking about war trauma. I'm talking about grief, grief, loss. So the sense of loss that is unresolved because there was no way, there was nowhere for you to put that. And those experiences are, are kind of deeply knitted into us. Right. If, if we want to reprogram, if you like, then what we need to develop is the ability to recognize that the only way you reprogram something is when the program is running. Okay. So you have to be, you can't, you can't think about something. You can't just theoretically deal with a, with a situation mm-hmm. because when the situation, when you are triggered and the situation is alive, mm-hmm. that program, that conditioning gets activated. And it's when it's activated that you can recognize, oh, wow, now I'm back in it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm five years old again or four years old or eight years old or whatever it is. Right. Here I am right in it, not five minutes after it's over and I've 
I've become aware of it, but becoming aware when it's actually happening. Okay. And then the really the the skill is to not go in. When I say not go in, I mean don't give energy. Don't don't go. Don't collapse into whatever that those emotions are. Being willing to feel them, mm-hmm. let them do whatever it is that they need to do, is is a way that the mind releases and reprograms. Quite literally, it's energy being released that was held. So could that be repeated, like, you know, over and over again and just continue to fester, for lack of a better word? Yeah, well, that's what happens with trauma. That's exactly what happens with trauma. So then what do you do then? So, for example, my dad passed away unexpectedly last year, and I felt like I dealt with it really well. Like, I felt like (laughs) I'm doing okay, but I think it's there festering. So what do you do to then let it move through you and move out? Uh, I guess I guess the basic thing is having a willingness to feel what you don't want to feel. Okay. People say, "Well, you know, David, I I I, I just I can't handle this anymore. I I'm just feeling too much." Mm-hmm. And my response is more often than not, it says, "So actually, you're not feeling enough. You're, <laughs> you think, you think you're feeling, and what's right. really." is you're thinking and you're responding to the thinking and so it keeps you there um it keeps us held right. um, and that is what that is what conditioning does and if it's traumatic conditioning then it's it's just the, just conditioning geared up if you like um but for sure trying to put it away you know, the old sort of English stiff upper lip or just <laughs> get, get over it uh-huh. is, is simply a way of suppressing. Um, it's an excuse to, to, to try and suppress. Well, you can't suppress. It's like it's like trying to hold back a river. Right. 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 You, you can you can you can build your house on a floodplain mm-hmm. and you're going to have some years where, where you're not the house is not going to leak. But it's a floodplain you're on, so <laughs> it's going to happen. It's gonna happen right. right. So, what is it that when you're working with people, um, and you can use a different example if you wish to? It's really what what you think would work best. What is it that you work through? Like, do you do more one on one, or do you do training for people of how to use this technique? Well, I do. I I, I work in a lot of different situations, so I, I do work one on one with people. Mm-hmm. I also work in groups. I teach. Um, when I work one-on-one, I, I also look for situations or at least for uh, the chance to work with more than just that person. Let me give you an example. Okay. Quite often, um, parents will bring their child to me and say, this is happening. Okay. Look, my kid has this or that. <clears throat> and it could be something like he's got scoliosis okay. or he's got this, you know, tremendous dermatitis. You know, it's just like covered in, in, in um, uh, eczema. Okay. Um, so I, why don't I talk about this, this little guy? Um, and what I realize is, is that, you know, illness is not something that happens in isolation. 
Uh-huh. We're all connected in ways that we really don't understand, that are hard to imagine even, um, other than if you think about it as a kind of web of, a web of life and that we, are, we inhabit a part of that, that web, a strand of that web, if you like. Um, so when the, when the parents present their child in that way, it's a bit like people who go to the doctor. You go to the doctor and you say, hey, doctor, this is my presenting issue. I have a sore thumb. But actually, it's not about the sore thumb. It's actually about something else. But the presenting issue is the thumb. So quite frequently, the child is brought in as a presenting issue, which has to do with the family. So with the kid with the scoliosis, I insisted, I really did insist on this. I said, look, I'm, I'm willing to work with this kid. He was eight at the time. Uh-huh. Absolutely willing. But I, I need to work with you, and I will work with as many of the family as I think is, is appropriate. And if you're okay with that, then let's go forward. Well, they said yes. Now, I, I had an extraordinary experience there because um, it, it was – an occasion where I was able to work not only with with the kids, uh, with the boy's sister, he had a mm-hmm. sister, um, but I work, worked with both parents. I worked with the grandparents on both sides. They were all four of them still alive. I worked with their cousins. Uh, I worked with uncles and aunts. I worked with the whole family constellation. Oh, wow. Now, here's what's really interesting. At first, I worked just with the boy. And there was some response in terms of the scoliosis. It was quite advanced, um, an idiopathic scoliosis. So, you know, it just simply means nobody knows why it's there. So it wasn't there uh, at birth? No, it was a, a, um, a juvenile idiopathic, okay. which, is, which, which, which appeared around about the age of four or five. Okay. And um, by the time I saw him, he was eight, and it had it had got pretty um, pretty bendy. Okay. Uh, so he had quite a you know more than a what they call a cob angle of, of of nearly thirty degrees at that point. It was like pretty extreme. Okay. Um, and I uh, was working with uh, the boy and noticed that he would not do what the other children would do because I saw him in situations where he was with other kids and so on. And he very much held himself away from the other children and didn't, didn't do anything that they were doing. And at one point I said, um, what, why don't you go and play with them? Why don't, why don't you go run around with them? And his response, you know, would break anybody's heart. He said, I, I can't. I will break my back. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and it's not that this kid wasn't able to walk around. He was perfectly able to walk around and so on. But this was a message that had been sent, put in his brain. Right. Right. And the message came from every single member of his family. Now, they were all these were loving people. These are they were not they were not bad people. They were not. But when I treated them, what I noticed was each time. Each time I had a session with, it didn't matter whether it was a grandparent or or a cousin or an uncle or the parents or whatever, they all started the same way. And they all said, isn't it a shame about the poor boy? Uh It's so terrible that he has this. And they talked about it in terms of affliction and so on. 
So I spent a great deal of time changing this point of view. So here's one thing that was really interesting, that for a period of time, I was working so almost exclusively on the boy, and there were some results that weren't that great. They were, they, were, they were promising, but they weren't really moving. Now, scoliosis is, has an intelligence. This is, this, is, this is about a spine that is, that is, it is simply not growing straight. Mm-hmm. And we could say that from an emotional point of view, this boy who is highly intelligent was trying to find his way through a family situation, a constellation of ideas and so on that were hard for him to deal with. Mm-hmm. The more I worked on the family, not on the boy, and there was a period of time where I didn't work on the boy at all. I only worked on the family, uh-huh. and his scoliosis got better. Wow. That's now, incredible. When I, when I stopped working on the family for a while and just went back and concentrated on the boy, it got worse. Hmm. So I went back to the family and tried to you know, kind of work through those things there. The more <clears throat> that I got to the point where they stopped talking about this boy, they would just come in for their own sessions and they stopped saying, having these conversations. Right. It eventually got to a point where none of them were having the conversations. And that's when, that's when suddenly this boy started to grow. Huh. I'm six foot two and he's just now just a little bit shorter than me. He wow. plays basketball. Well, he goes to university. He's doing everything, right? He That's still incredible. Has, he still has a kink in his spine. Uh-huh. It's, you know, it's 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 there. But his shoulders are down. He he doesn't he doesn't have any of the. If he has a shirt on, you wouldn't notice. You you just wouldn't know. Huh. Um, That's incredible. But it, you know what? The question that it, it's bringing to me is, and it kind of ties back to earlier when we talked. To, I was mentioning like looking in the mirror and saying, you know, you're smart or whatever. And we, you know, you said that the logical mind can't do that. My question is this, can we change something without the people around us? Like, can we do it ourselves? That's my question. Yes, I believe we can. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, ultimately, I believe that we do do that, and that it's only us that do that. Oh, okay. Ultimately, right? Well, we need support. We okay. need help. We need to be loved. We need to know that we're that that we love and that we're loving. Um, in 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 one sense, it's our ability to simply be aware. Okay. So then the question is: All right, I'm aware. Then, where is it I'm placing my attention? What am I focusing on? Mm-hmm. And what I focus on is going to produce the results. I get that. So, okay. So if I'm focused on the, I re, you know, anybody who's focused on that something that they really want to do, uh-huh. they do it. Right. Right. They do it. Because if you think about something and then you feel it and you combine the thought process with the emotion and then you can imagine a possibility if you can imagine that possibility then you can think it and you can feel it and when those things go together that's when you create okay now 
there's no judgment about what you create. So you can create positively or negatively. I don't even like using those words, but right. you, can, you, can, you can build a city or you can destroy a city. Well, or you can create what you want or what you don't want if you're focusing on what you don't want. Essentially, yeah. that's what's yeah. being created, right? Exactly. Okay. And that's when the conditioning, the unconscious is at work. Okay. That's when we, that's when we self-sabotage, for instance. We don't, we don't realize and people say like, why is it always that I just almost get the perfect job and then I, I don't know, something, something just happens and I can't help it. Because <laughs> you said always. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, in the case of the family with the boy with the scoliosis, essentially the work that you're doing through the work with them is teaching them to stop focusing on, to start focusing on, you know, or take the energy off his, his back his affliction. Yeah. So that the work that was physical, which I did work physically on his back and he okay. needed physiotherapy and he uh -huh. needed these things. It's not like this happened in isolation. Right? Okay. So it, it just means that there could be results for all that work because right. they, they were working, you know, any, any, any cure, any healing is going to work on more than just a physical level or more than just an emotional level it's going to be an emotional physical mental spiritual it's right. when all come together that we clear when they're all when when all of those are whole mm -hmm. that's the healing i think the work that you're doing is phenomenal because i think we try to do it in parts which is what you're just saying so you look at if we are religious and we pray every day and we have this belief that this thing whatever it is will improve or get better or change but then we talk about what's not happening all day long um we're counteracting what the prayer can do or what the energy of the prayer can do or That's conversely right. if we're um if we're taking if we're taking actions towards something but we don't believe we can have it we're you know we're work, we're working in friction with it so i think that this is such an amazing idea of change of change for people yeah that's right and real change real change real change is <laughs> something that happens internally mm -hmm. but it's not only on the level of a thought it's not only on the level of different emotions or feelings or sensations mm -hmm. in the body. It, 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 it has to do with a complete um, not where we, where, where we detach or unattach from that which was holding us before, whatever that might be. Right. And when that really happens, uh -huh. then that whatever is healed in you mm -hmm. becomes medicine for other people. And I think it's so worth doing the work because as we talk about this, I think about what things am I holding space for around the people that I love that's having an afflictive, like, I don't know if that's a word, but that's negatively impacting them, right? So if I'm holding onto this thing, that's essentially something I need to let go of, it, that energy can be affecting the people around me as well. Like the sure, family and the, and the, and the, the child. And the, 
Yeah. But the moment you become aware of it, uh-huh. you're, you're no longer in slavery. Okay. That is freedom in itself. It's that, okay. that awareness in itself. It's just, you see, <clears throat> how many people have you met who will be shouting at you and they will say something, I am not angry! <laughs> <laughs> you know, the lights are on, but no one's home. Right, right. Well, then there's this moment of like, okay, I am angry. <laughs> right. And as soon as that person is aware of the, that they're angry, you can reach them. Yes, exactly. With any emotion, I think it's like and with any emotion. Yeah, I just right. use anger because it's a it's, it's an a obvious yeah, it's an obvious and one. For, yeah. And for me, anger is not something to be afraid of. Anger is actually fuel to grow. Mm-hmm. Anger rarely happens just by itself. So um, I'm going to shift gears because we I I know I'm taking up so much of your time, and I feel like I got a bit of a free session in the middle of all this. So thank you. Um, or at least I'm assuming it's free. <laughs> so I'll be getting a, a an invoice it's wonderful to talk to you through, pa- through PayPal. Uh, but I want to ask you what else you're passionate about. Like, what is something else that you love doing in your life that gets you really excited and sort of helps you fuel you for this work? I, I guess that I, there's so many things that that mm. you know. I, I'm not a I'm not a hobby kind of guy, uh-huh. um, so I don't have a hobby in the sense of like I, I can imagine myself working with wood and stuff. But I don't I don't go and woodwork. You know, okay. um, I I uh, um, I spend time. I spend a lot of meditative time, but which doesn't necessarily mean sitting on a cushion somewhere. It, uh-huh. uh, meditation for me. Um, can be in so many different ways, um, whether I, I mean whether it's cooking, or or going for a swim, or or, or a walk, or a bike ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love I love being with uh, with with uh, people with kids, um, especially because there's a, there's a there's a naturalness and a freedom there that I'm, I'm it's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I read a great deal. I, I read um, novels, and I read uh, I read for work as well. I'm always interested in what people are are doing. Um, my sort of pet favorite subjects. I'm a sort of amateur particle physicist. I'm interested in quantum physics, and and I I I use a lot of the the um, uh, some of the, well, actually, the, a, a great deal of the the understanding of quantum physics uh, as a, as a way of understanding the the what is now a growing science of you know kind of bio our our biological cybernetic body mm-hmm. and it responds in different ways energetically. Um, it's fascinating what we're learning these in, like in the last five to ten years around that, isn't it? It's, it's, oh, it's huge. It's I going so, so quickly, um, so quickly that I think that actually that's the other part that you're, that, that I feel is very, uh, important strand here, which is that in a world that's going so fast, we're asked to go faster and faster when actually the solution is to slow right down. I was wondering if you can help people, uh, with where they can find you, where, where's the best place to find you and your work? Sure. Well, um, the website is is bodyresonance.org, um, and you can find me there. Um, and you can also um, 
be in touch with me through there. I okay. work in different countries, mostly in Europe at the moment. So I'm 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 teaching in um, in Austria and uh, and Germany, and I I spend time in England and uh, and uh, well, it's 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 Europe Europe wide at the moment. It mm-hmm. used to be worldwide, but it's now now Europe based. Um, and uh, there are you know all the information in terms of organizers and people who you can reach me through are are on the website. So that's probably the easiest place to go to. Well, you can you can also um, uh, I, I do sessions via via Skype as well. Okay, great. And uh, that can work in in different ways. Sometimes it's just a consultation. Um, I can I also work uh, um, at distance with people um, energetically. I love that so many of these techniques can be done in different fashions. So we don't have this barrier of oh, you're across the world from me or. And that you can help people around the world with what you've learned. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, it has been so fun talking with you today and learning about this. I'm, I'm so fascinated. I have a feeling I'm going to be hanging out on your website after we're off the call and just reading everything I can get. Grateful that you're doing this work for people. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your questions. And I'm, I'm always... Uh, I realize how how much I'm 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 stimulated. It's one of the things that uh-huh. that that is uh, you know is my is my passion is that I'm I'm stimulated by people's questions and mm-hmm. I, I respond to what it is that's 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 going on for people. That's what excites me. Well, I think we did a pretty good job today <laughs> on both counts for both of us. Yeah, well, thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk again. I hope and um, have a great rest of this of the Saturday. Yeah, and you too. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, I feel like we got a little trifecta there. We had a conversation, we had a free healing session, and you all got to hear that happen at the same time. So three things in one episode. That's great, right? So David's work is pretty amazing. And I have to say, I have felt so much better after having that conversation because I did have a couple of crazy disappearances in my life last year that seemed to have really had a bigger impact than I would have expected. So it's cool to think that that stage is over. That would be awesome. Meanwhile, we have some new things going on here at Glistening Particles. I know I've been alluding to, but here's the first thing. We're going to start taking on advertisers. So if you would like your company to have a shout out in the middle of one of these episodes, definitely give me a call. And if you don't know me enough yet, I can tell you this, I am very good at talking about products and I will sell your product up and down. So looking forward to those contacts. Until next time, thanks for listening. So are you following your passion, inspiring people and willing to share your story? Then find me because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.